is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast, powered by our friends over at X2 Power Batteries. As always, I'm your host, Bailey Egbrett, and joined to my right is El Capitan, Mr. Andy Full, and our special guest, the bearded wonder down there, weirdly <laughs> slurping goldfish, Mr. Alex Rudd. You should, you I'm should screenshot that if you can, and like make that your profile pitch, just I'm holding the goldfish enough. and like... No. Tag them and be like, "What do you say, Goldfish? Your That's move. Right. <laughs> Your move. Me. <laughs> goldfish. No, no, I'm here. I'm excited. This is a this is a good topic. I got my goldfish and a cold diet, Dr Pepper. I mean, there's just no greater place to be than with you two here doing oh, that. You are you are king of the gas station fountain drinks. Oh God, dude, I love a fountain drink. They're probably gonna kill me one day, but God, I love them. So real fast on gas station found drinks. It's the off season, so I've been doing like Uber Eats and DoorDash. Dude, people will send me to like Seven Eleven for two like jumbo big gulp cups filled with like Pepsi and throw me like a ten dollar tip. Oh yeah, to deliver Dude. That. and it'll be like six miles, and I'm like, whoa, I just made fifteen dollars delivering two giant big gulps. I'm like, this is great. <laughs> That is the most laziest thing I think I've ever heard. Where you oh, yeah. dash two big gulps. Yeah, like it'd usually be like a part of another order. So like you'd have to go like Red Robin and get the burgers, and then on the way there, it's oh, like okay. same person grab the big gulps, and it's like, do you want to stop at Seven Eleven for fifteen dollars extra? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> you know what it is. <laughs> the goldfish. I thought he was gonna shake it. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> we need a soundboard of shaking goldfish whenever oh, we get very I excited. I gotta set my soundboard up. I keep every time I get on a podcast, I forget I don't have my soundboard and it makes me mad. I'm loading that thing with nothing but sex sounds. It's gonna be amazing. <laughs> Here we go. And then I'm gonna and I'm gonna like have yeah, something like super today. I'm gonna have somebody like super serious on and just <laughs> <laughs> oh man so I was, when i worked at the bank i was like going through like little reels and stuff and that reel came on i had my sound just up ever so silent oh, I was like, oh. No. <laughs> oh god you you got you fell for the trap <laughs> for the trap i was like never again will i listen to reels with my sound on <laughs> oh gosh dude it, i used to fall for that because i am extremely gullible and all my college buddies we had a group chat and like like the first five times you get the text of like breaking news something something like super inconspicuous mm-hmm. and then it's just either that sound or something really bad mm-hmm. and i fell for it all the time especially when i was out in public but you like learn to know like <laughs> if your buddies are texting you something about the news chances are it's, it's not played. good yeah, don't open it. Nuclear war is breaking out in Ukraine. Don't open that. Don't, and then it's real. One time you don't open it, it's like, oh, like that actually happened. That's not good. <laughs> yeah. I was informed, and I'm not. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, boys, I, I do. We talked about it a little bit offline, but I think it's important. So I wanted to bring it up here. But uh, one of my New Year's resolutions Sorry. was to get better, like body, mind, and everything. And quite honestly, these past, what, it's January 12th, we're recording this. 12 days I've been slacking. Uh, I can't get out of a mindset of like, hey, you're allowed to take a break. Uh, but I listened to the Dave Mercer podcast with Brandon Polinick. And one of the things he said that hit me pretty hard was that he's been he's, he's now in the best shape of his life or not, not of his life, but in the past like seven, eight years, I believe he said, because he, used, he thought about it where it's like, if I do the right things now, I might add a couple years out of my life, you know, down the end of the road. That hit me pretty hard. 
went and worked out for the first time in a long time today. Did some stuff for my mind, got my mind right for today, and I feel like I'm back on track. So I feel like something good to talk about to kickstart. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. I'm yeah. proud of you. Proud yeah. of you. Well, we can just... do an Apple Watch, and then I'll like we can do competitions. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah. It's like that. What was the thing with the iPhone? Do they still have like the the games on the iPhone text? You know what I'm talking about? Or like you could play like. Uh... Oh yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking is, about. Is it like that with the watch? Uh, no, it's like a um, like on my watch. I'm in a competition with my wife. I'm and in so one like today we wife, started. Yeah. And it's like our we have points and we can like we compete against each other to who can burn the most calories in a week. And I always win because I'm just like a madman. Like and I'll go out there and just like I'll be like, Oh, I'm ten points behind. Yeah, you've fitting to find out. And I'll do like a forty five minute cycling exercise and then <laughs> sling kettlebells for like an hour just to beat her. But yeah, no, I I really the the Apple I got an Apple watch a while ago and uh right before Christmas. And uh it's awesome fitness and like it's been one thing it's been my big driver for fitness is just being able to see that progress like because i'm very uh on a visual like i like to see like i love to mow a yard because you can see a beginning and an end and it's like so with the the apple watch you know you got like your rings and so like when i complete my ring there's something in my adhd brain that goes good job and so you know <laughs> it helps me to go out there and get on that stupid spin bike for 45 minutes Dude, I, I love, love my Apple Watch, especially in the summertime when I'm on like Lake Erie and it's wavy out. And it'll be like, you climbed 32 flights of stairs today and burned 1,700 calories. <laughs> Walk six miles because you're just back and forth on your front deck in the waves. Yeah. And, by, and I'm in a competition with Amanda. Mm -hmm. And I'll be like, I smoked your ass today. And she's like, you were on a boat all day. <laughs> well, I did, a, I did a fishing. So fishing is is under one of the exercises that you can do. What? And so I tracked fishing the other day, and it said I burned like 2,000 calories. And I yeah. thought, there's really no way. But then maybe, I don't know. Like, I mean, by the end of like a hard fishing day, like if I'm out there, you know, like nine, 10 hours hard, going hard, especially, yeah, whining, grinding, especially if I'm in my kayak, dude, I'm beat by the end of the day. And so it almost makes me think there must be a little something to just the physical output of fishing that we could possibly be burning that many calories. I don't know, but. It's interesting. It's an interesting thought. Oh, you definitely get whooped. I mean, mm -hmm. especially from like Andy's point of view, like when you're in rough water and trying to stay up on that deck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Who uses bad. a pedestal seat to lean on? Like, why would I ever do that? Yes, <laughs> yeah. That's dude. That's like one thing that I'm seeing more and more people doing, especially now with live scope. Mm -hmm. Like more people are using it, are using it just for the pure fact that it's easy. Mm -hmm. I could but see if I had cool. like, one or two spinning rods on the deck and one in my hand, but I can't use it because when I turn, I will kick all my rods in the water. Like my my foot will catch the reels and they'll be gone because it's just another thing in my way. And I'm already a klutz, so might as well just take the middleman out. If I'm going down, I'm going down backwards. It's kind of ugly too. So you got, I mean, you just got all kinds of things going. Oh, dude, everything bad going. <laughs> ugly klutz. I mean, it's like I heard you're not very good at catching fish either. But anyway, oh, I'm, terrible. I'm absolutely terrible. <laughs> Got him. There it is. Oh, so bad. <laughs> uh, so today's show we're getting into. Uh, people probably have seen it from the title, but we're gonna be talking about the the future of fishing, and we're gonna hit on a, a few a very broad, broad category. But we have kind of like these topics that we're gonna go down, uh, and the plan is to get to all these. But if, if we're going on a pace where we're, we might only hit two or three, 
We'll probably make a part two. <laughs> they push it, push it part down four or five. You know, you never. Well, I feel like this is an endless topic because um, it's like a fluid deal, right? Like it's always changing, constant evolution. So, like, I feel like this is something we could talk about, like every quarter or something, and always have something new and fresh. To well, there's say. always a future, so there's always something to talk about the future. Yes. Unless we get hit by an asteroid and then there's not a future. <laughs> there's not a future. Which some days I'm like, you know what? That's not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> so be a sad way to go. Like the how traumatic it would be to watch that thing come in and then just I mean, listen, we are in a, we are in a dodgeball game. We are a floating orb of sensitivity in a giant cosmic dodgeball game. Like it is it is a it is Didn't happen at thought. some point. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's happened before. It can happen again. Like they said that there was one that they saw that come around the sun, but they didn't see it until it was like 200,000 miles away or something like that. Well, you think, oh, that's that's a long distance. Not in space. Mm-hmm. It passed between us and the moon. Like, no, 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 no. Okay, like that's way too damn close. We put people on the moon. I don't need something the size of the state of Texas flying by us that close. Okay. <laughs> See, that, that ending, that ending, and we're going to get on a whole bunch of tangents. This is just what happens. Uh, that ending, like, makes me more sad for other people more than myself. But, like, for me, if I knew that's how we're going to go out, I'd probably be my only qualm with it is, like, I at least want to watch it happen. Like, I want to be in space and watch a hit Earth type of deal. Like, just the you ever the seen the movie Greenland? No, dude, you got to. It'll it'll it will make you have an existential like crisis within yourself because the movie is about an asteroid. Like they detect an asteroid coming. Oh no, I did watch that. Yeah, yeah, with Gerard Butler. Yeah, yeah, that freaks me out. Movies like that freak me out. Day after tomorrow, I love that movie, but also freaks me out. Like this is that realistic. Yes, anything is sort of realistic. I Am Legend is probably the scariest movie I've ever seen, oh, even though that's not super realistic. But like, there's something about like the way that they made that movie because like, worst part is the dog. The worst yeah. part, yeah. <laughs> um, it kind of reminded me of like the start of COVID though, when they just shut exactly. everything down. You're like, oh. When they started crazy. shutting everything down, I was like, this is I Am Legend. This is I Am Legend. This is this is this is why I own as many guns as I do. Let's do this. Like, come on. <laughs> Rednecks delight. Let's throw down. All right. Well, back to what we were, we were originally Let's talking about. Yes. <laughs> Topic for today. We're talking about a couple of things, uh, category-wise, about the future of fishing. And one of the first ones we're going to get into is talking about this evolution and where the future is going to hold for this argument of professional fishing, influencers, where they fit in the industry. And kind of with that, we'll mold into like where we're going to see social media go in the future of fishing as it progresses. But later into the show, if we can keep on task, we're going to look at like the evolution of sponsorships. We're going to look at baits, technology, uh, and talk about some fisheries as well. The evolution of lakes would think would be a really cool one to talk about because what's what's actually kind of cool. What's happening right now, California and the West Coast, some of these lakes are all falling. Well, they're getting an insane amount of rain right now, and it's cool to watch them come back up. Yeah, um, that's good news. Some more good news for today's show. But so the first one we we're going to talk about was this: the quote unquote influencer side, right? The people that are not professional fishermen, quote unquote, that on a tournament trail. Uh, a while back, when it was like YouTube was first a thing, 
there was I, there was definitely like a rift, right, Alex? I mean, because you've been in the game a long time, probably what seven mm-hmm. years, you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, around there. You old there was man. a weird like rift between tournament fishing and like say YouTube slash social media, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interestingly progressed where now you're seeing, especially I've seen a big increase this past year. Some of them are freaking awesome. Like Jason Christie has a really good YouTube channel now. Like you're seeing a lot of pros that are on the side that was like this tournament stuff where the evolution of sponsorships on that end have evolved. And now it's kind of interesting how they're kind of morphing into the same thing, at least from a professional bass fishing side, more they've morphed some of the aspects from the influencer quote unquote into their daily lives as a tournament angler. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think a lot of it's forced. I think a lot of it's forced upon them because it's the future of what's going on. It's the future of where we're all heading. Um, Marketing, society, um, public perception, influence, socioeconomics, global economics, global politics. It's all based on social media now. Mm -hmm. I mean, like social media rules the world, period, and done stop. And Twitter affects elections now. I mean, I mean, in in that, and that's was going to be my what I was about to say is that, like, you know, you look at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, these these platforms, YouTube, even you know, YouTube. I don't know if as much as these other ones, you know, because Twitter's kind of the uh, the public forum for everybody to go and argue on. But like when the FBI and the CIA are corresponding with Twitter, as it could affect global economics and global politics i think that we have now moved into a stage in our development as human beings that technology is probably the most predominant thing that we've got going on mm-hmm. and you know you look at the most influential people in the world and the richest people in the world i mean elon musk being the richest person in the world if he still is i know he lost some money or something like that but i mean you know he lost like 400 billion dollars and it didn't even like affect him or some stupid crap like that but like you know he he bought twitter i mean so like the richest person in the world finds need to go and buy social media platforms because he sees the benefit of what it's going to bring to him into the future right so i don't know i mean it's all very interesting to me, because I mean, you know, I'm on the inside, kind of looking out at everybody else, like like shaking people, like, "Hey, you need to be doing this because it's the future." Like, if you're in a business, or if you're an entrepreneur, or if you're a, a fisherman, a hawker, a, uh, I mean, I don't care what you do, a basket weaver. Like, everybody needs to be on the internet, and, and like even Andrew, you, I mean, like you have a benefit of being on the internet because you could book out every single day in the summer based off just a few Facebook posts and some Instagram posts, mm-hmm. and I mean, so. You know, it's been interesting to see the development of fishing in social media. And, and the reason I say that is kind of like referring back to what you said, Bailey, was, you know, at the beginning of all this, we were laughed at. I mean, I can literally remember being laughed in my face at ICAST when I said that I did YouTube. I mm-hmm. I, I don't remember the, the the guy's name specifically, but I do remember that he said, he looked at me. He said, good luck with your self-fulfilling venture. Ugh. And that's what he told me. First year. Doc. I was like, and that was like 2016, 17, around that time frame. So not that long ago. And I was like, okay, I'll remember that. And now here I am and I'm doing it full time and I get paid to go fishing, you know? And so 
self-fulfilling adventure, whatever you want to call it. To some people, it may be that. To some people, it may be something else. To me, it's just my dream. It's what I want to do. It helps me to fulfill my love of how I like to go fishing. And I get to you know document my experiences and putting it out there into the world. But to sum all this up, we, the fishing industry is either going to have to catch up or die. And they're doing a pretty good job of catching up, but not a fantastic job of catching up. And the, the rate at which we are moving towards a social media dominated world is probably one to two more steps from being completely done, nail in the coffin mm-hmm. and things like TV, not existing newspapers, not existing radio, not existing. And everything is going to be based online and it's going to be based on this individual, individual, individualistic development of content that people consume. Mm-hmm. And I know for me in my life, it's already happened. Like the only TV that I watch is professional sports and college sports. And when I say professional sports, I'm talking about football and I'm talking about football. Like in, <laughs> and, and if, when this thing, if this thing happens with YouTube where YouTube will gain, you know, total access to the NFL and you'll be able to just go on and click any game that you want to watch through YouTube, it's done. That okay. is when it's literally over. And if you're not caught up to that and these companies aren't caught up to that, these Fortune 500 companies aren't caught up to that and everything that they do isn't focused on how do we now appeal to this new audience based on social media, companies will start failing and dying. And I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see, especially in the fishing space, what happens because I know for a fact there will be companies that don't adapt and they will go away. Yeah, I I do think... And with this thought, I don't mean this in a like dark or sadistic way at all, but like there's a generation in the fishing industry still that and there's some that are really doing well conforming as time progresses, but there's definitely individuals in the fishing industry that are more stuck in the traditional sense of how things are supposed to be done, especially from a marketing and a growth standpoint that once that there we evolve, that generation is gone. And with the generation coming up, you see a lot of young anglers right now, especially the college route, and even some that are still in today. With I would I would argue, say like a Polnick is kind of leading that charge for a. He's probably on your your borderline, like he's probably your buffer between that older traditional generation and then people that are you know younger that are more millennial that are used to technology. That I think you're going to see a, a really fast switch. I think you're going to. It's almost like a levy. You're going to see that break. And there's, you're going to see a lot, like almost every single pro angler or company be way more savvy with how these things work. I yeah. think it's, I think you'll see a switch because and I even think looking at Paulinet, Carl Jockison, Hunter Shyrock, just a few that come to mind. Scott Martin's a great example. I think that what you're seeing there is guys who are recognizing that they can make more money and have more success because of social media. And they've only had the success that they've had in being recognizable because of social media. I'm not taking anything away from their ability. I mean, Brandon Polinick is a fantastic fisherman, but I mean, he can win four tournaments next year, but because of Bass's lack of social media presence, their lack of streamability through social media and streamability in a way that people actually want to take that in, he wouldn't have the fame that he has. He's taken that into his own hands and he's created his own brand. I mean, you know, the brand of Polinick fishing or whatever, you know, his little brand that he has. I mean, he has hats and shirts with thing, and it's all him. It's him. And what's his cameraman's name? Kyle. 
Kyle. It's him and Kyle. I mean, that's it. Like they did it themselves. Bassmaster did nothing for them in that aspect. They didn't help him create the YouTube channel. They didn't help him create the content that he creates for his sponsors and for himself and for his Instagram. That's all him doing that for him. And I think that, I think that that's super important to recognize because like those, there's just a few dudes who are really doing it. Well, Jason Christie started to do it. Well, Edwin started to do it. Well, and I think what you're going to see is people who just fade into the nothingness, you know, like they become literally nobodies because they aren't on social doing social and growing social presence. But that all comes back to that ind- what I said, individualistic, not only is it individualistic on how you consume content, but also very individualistic on how you create your content as well. Right. Yeah. You know, I totally agree with that. And then even from a, professional angler standpoint the people that tournaments are just a plus where they can live off of social media but then they to go fish tournaments those are the people that are typically the ones dangerous because they're not worried about that next paycheck but freedom man yeah i mean i think i just think there's going to be a shift a big shift and say 10 years it could be. Uh, well, no, I agree because it's the fishing industry. Everything's ten years behind. So. It's not fifteen. <laughs> it's not fifteen years. Well, I, I'm just saying, like in the in thoughts of like from an age standpoint, where you're going to have this big levy, which I think it's going to be interesting to see how like these the new Bassmaster qual uh, elite or the elite series qualifiers, the EQs go. Where I'm, I'm almost curious to see. You give that a year or two. What the average age is for people doing all nine opens. Uh, I would almost think that the age, the average age is getting younger. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think you'll see that not only from, I think it'll just get to the point where older guy. So example here, my dad, let's say my dad were to be a tournament fisherman. Um, He would just be a nobody. It wouldn't matter how good he was. It didn't matter how many tournaments he won. He would be a nobody because he's not going to get on social media. Like he watches my YouTube videos and like, you know, consumes things that I'm in because he supports me. But like my dad doesn't have a Facebook, an Instagram, a Twitter. He doesn't have a YouTube account. He just gets on YouTube and searches my name. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I think he does have a YouTube account because he does comment on my stuff. But but like like he does not participate in social media. And so like he, anybody that is my dad's age or older in this game, like you said, Bailey, I think in the next 10 years, they just disappear. I think that they become irrelevant because I think the 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 ability to create content will be the deciding factor of whether companies pay guys or not. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll be a deciding factor on whether guys can support themselves financially or not, which that's something I do want to get into. I know it's not on our list, but I want to talk about the financial aspect of fishing because I think we're in a very dire place in the direction that we're going with the industry we're going to kill ourselves if we don't get off these mm-hmm. tracks as far as finances go. But I think that if you're not creating content and you're not literally, if you're not Gary Veeing yourself, you're not going to survive in the fishing industry because you're just financially not going to be able to even make it because number one, you're not going to have the relevancy to be paid. But number two, you're not going to have that extra income from monetization in other ways other than through sponsorship to mm-hmm. have that financial freedom to be able to go and fish. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think what's interesting too, when you talk about the content creation side, I mean, a Hank Parker is a unicorn, a guy that's still doing it, 
But like when you when you look at <clears throat> say from a company standpoint, a brand, when they want to hire somebody to create content, who do they ask or they point to to do that? Mm-hmm. Somebody younger that's tech savvy and you always hear the, the stereotypical line of i don't know how to use that that phone that tech well, you that better start figuring out. well i'm saying like the the somebody who's been around for a while yeah, yeah. i don't know how to use all that so yeah. like they pitch it out to the younger person i think it's going to be interesting as you know that younger person that 25 28 year old that knows how to use this all and use it really well when they get to that point where they're 40 in that company it's going to be pretty interesting to well, see. I mean, we both know the people who run the social medias for Pure Fission. Mm-hmm. And so we know the age of which they are. And we also know their abilities with technology. And so if you're going to rely on people of that age and that ability to use the technology to help grow the company, well, then guess who those people are going to rely on to then create the content for them? The people who make it as easy as it could possibly be and streamline as it can possibly be for them to get their job done. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm that person for a lot of people <laughs> because like yeah. when they ask me for something, sure, I will go do it. I can upload it to the drive. I know how the cloud works. I'm not over here. Like do I press the Y button or the yellow button? And it's like, no, you just, it's just done because I know how to do it. And I think mm-hmm. I'm not saying that there aren't older people that can't use technology. I'm just saying that the older generation is not as as ingrained and as inclined to be as good at technology as, say, me or you or Andrew or somebody even younger than us. I think the next generation coming up is even scarier because of their integration into technology. I mean, man, those kids that I had when I was still a teacher that were in fifth grade that could use my phone literally better than I could. And I'm very, very technologically, you know, savvy like i I know a lot and they knew twice as much as i did at 10 years old so it's 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 gonna be crazy to see where that goes yeah well to to wrap up this category and andy i want you to if you have any thoughts to spew them out there before we change topics here but i think every pro angler just about every single one you'll see in say five ten years is gonna have a youtube channel they're gonna Mm -hmm. be you know, whatever the current trend is, like right now with Instagram, reels are everything. Same with like TikTok and such. Same with YouTube, you could argue with shorts now that shorts are going to be monetized here soon. I'm going to say like every pro angler, especially if they're going to want to get sponsorship money and live off of income, not just tournament winnings, is going to have every platform and be active. They're almost going to have no choice but to. I wonder, though, if it will benefit them because I don't disagree that they'll have it, but I just don't know if they'll have as much success as other people have had with it. And the reason that I say that is because I think what you'll see is an application of an old style way of creating content. And when I say that, I don't mean YouTube. I mean TV. Like, because content on TV is still content. It's just, it was consumed through network television. And so what I see from some of these professional anglers is they may have social media on everything, but they still get on there and they go, I really love my X2 batteries cause they're the best batteries that there are on the market. <laughs> and it's like, that's of no benefit to anybody and nobody's going to consume that. And I think what you're going to have to see is not only are they going to have to do it, 
but they're going to have to do it in the way that social media loves and the way that people consume content now, which is through being as real as you can possibly be not overly hyper-produced and, you know, overly edited, just a more real down to earth kind of view of what's going on and, and, and being very, very truthful and being very willing to maybe step on some toes and say some things that aren't exactly in line with what we were talking about. I think it was me and you Bailey, right. That we talked about like, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the last podcast we did where we talked about like the industry as it is now can't do more because they're in the constraints of like, no, it was me and Joe. Me and Joe were talking about like the industry can't do more because the industry is in this weird place of where it's constrained still by like FCC rules and they don't want to step mm-hmm. on anybody's toes or go any kind of outside of the bounds of what they are. But I think that the, the anybody that's going to do it, pro angler or not, they're going to have to understand that like when I create – youtube videos and i create content online that i can't do it the way that i've always done it for like my tv commercials or wired to fish even i'm gonna have to do me and be me and not just sell people on things and pitch things to people like it's got to be this different weird thing that is what we know bailey social media content creation yeah yeah and my general thought is like the older generation, what's to stop them from paying somebody to do it? Cause a lot of those older generation people in the fishing industry have already sapped up a ton of money, right? Like why couldn't they go out and hire an Alex Rudd or a Bailey to just create content for them? So now all of a sudden they are actually creating more jobs and circulating more money into the fishing industry. Like that's another viewpoint you can take from the older generation getting into that game the the only thing i'm worried about on that side is like you stated it could become very generic content because they're the ultimate driver as you said you know you get the very monologue talking Mm -hmm. points of things and it's just like i love my bass boat it goes fast great Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're seeing a lot of guys do that now i mean there's a lot of guys that aren't good with it that are just paying people to film them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I mean, I I think those are the people that are evolving. I will say, I think they're acknowledging that there's a weakness and they found Mm -hmm. a solution to work the problem. It's admirable. Sure. Like, yeah, they're, they're conforming to what they need to be doing now. And I think they're seeing more benefit from it. And I think uh, a guy that was a really early adapter of this was Scott Martin, like way back in the day, one of the TV show, and then being like, hey, I have brains. I'm putting the TV show on YouTube. Like, mm-hmm. I think that was really smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I, I would can, argue that. I can promise you Scott Martin would not have the same pop that Scott Martin does if it wasn't for his presence on YouTube. And people argue me to I'm blue in the face because it's, you know, it's Scott Martin. We know it's Scott Martin. But I can promise you the average consumer of fishing and bass fishing specifically, like, no, they love Scott Martin because of his YouTube channel more than they yeah, love I mean, Scott the dude's Martin. Got it's five hundred thousand subs. I mean, he's gonna have exactly. some pull. Yeah, exactly. And, Back in the old days of Scott Martin flipping bruiser baits and pads on Okeechobee and catching just giants. Like I remember those videos from ten. Remember years ago. two years ago or three years ago, Okuma Scott Martin. Like, yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. it ages ago. I'll tell you. Here's a great example of this. This what I just said in action. When I was still a teacher, I had a kid. He goes, he goes, what are you doing over fall break, Mr. Rudd? I said, well, I'm going to fish with Edwin Evers. He goes, I don't know who that is. You ever like, you ever watch Scott Martin? 
Perfect example. Yeah. Like I've had 10 year olds say that to me. I've had 15 year olds say that to me. I've had 17, 18 year olds. I've had seniors in high school going and spoke to a high school team, kind of talk to them. And like, they literally don't know who Edwin is, which is crazy to me. It's absurd. But, but, but they've right. grown up in a generation of the Guggen, Scott Martin, us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they know us and they know those guys because. They they're one hundred percent of their consumption of media is based through the internet, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I mean now, I mean Edwin. I'd say like an Edwin, Jason Christie, probably some of the best educational content out there right now. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a certain demographic of people who consume their content that's different right. than the demographic of people who consume scott martin's content yeah you're not gonna see a lot I, in my opinion you won't see a lot of that 17 to 23 on their channels or that 14 to 16 like the those younger people that are have, have the devices handy to watch youtube i don't think you're gonna see them on there yeah. very minimal but i will say and this is my last point before we'll move on uh is i think that professional anglers whether Bassmaster, um, MLF, whichever. I think because the fact that they, uh, I say a Bassmaster, has this historic name to it, legendary, and they, the fact that they do have a significant audience live, they are way, they are way better off trying to build a YouTube channel than somebody say like any of the three of us trying to start from scratch from ground up trying to start a youtube channel like and i'm not saying now like i think alex if you start one now obviously be way easier for you to start one because you have the recognition but say back seven years ago from a recognition standpoint i think it's way easier say for somebody in the elite series who doesn't have youtube start a channel and within days he could have anywhere from one to five thousand subscribers i think there's a way way quicker curve to growing that than somebody who just doesn't as long as they put the work in, because I mean, there's a lot. They do of, it right, yeah. I mean, there's Jason could be a quick drop off. Had a YouTube channel for a long time until he doubled down on doing it the right way, creating good thumbnails, creating good titles, and creating consistent content. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you see is an inconsistency in content. But in in two, if you see a consistency in content, you could see a consistency of randomness, and it's like not what is take. You either focus on growing a YouTube channel or you focus on fishing or you hire somebody to focus on growing a YouTube channel while you're focusing on fishing, <laughs> like like yeah. in the professional space or like the tournament, you know, tournament, professional tournament fishing space. It is very, very hard to do both. I mean, Hunter Shyrock and his wife are a, are a beautiful match team because Hunter can focus on fishing while his wife is also creating content. But then Hunter's also savvy enough to also create content at the same time. And so it's like this unit that works together. Me and Bethany are the same way. We're a unit that works together to do things. And so I think what you see a lot of the times is like Edwin did a really good job of, he got together with some content creators. He talked to them about what worked. He talked to them about titling, thumbnailing, tagging, writing descriptions, what works, what doesn't work. What have you seen that's successful? And then he hired somebody and goes, let's execute on all these ideas that we've got from these guys and let's grow a YouTube channel. Jason Christie, I think, did the same exact thing. I think there was a lot of that that went on. Brandon obviously knows how to do it. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. so, but I think I think there are a lot of pros out there who have YouTube channels that are like, I'm gonna live stream every other every other month 
and I'm going to, you know, post some stupid pictures and a short every now and then, and then go, why is my YouTube channel not working? It's like, it's like (laughs) there has to be the, the work put in to actually make it grow. But I do agree that people with recognizable names have a much easier bell curve to kind of get into the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I would say within our space, like if I was going to start a U- another YouTube channel, I would not start it in our space. I would start it in another space mm-hmm. because our space is unique in the fact that there's, there's a cap to how many people we can get on something. It's just, the, it's just the fact of the the niche in which we're in. Right. Mm-hmm. So like if I was going to start something else, dude, I would like analyze professional football or play video games or do collectibles or something because those spaces have literally untapped endless possibilities of how big they can grow. Whereas within fishing, we, we have a cap. And I mean, the Dugans proved that because they all hit the cap and then they all diversified from that cap. They all started doing different things Mm -hmm. that are outside of our niche, which helped them to grow more. Yeah. Yep. Rud the chef. Can't wait to see it. Cooks everything with goldfish. (laughs) Yeah. So, Could you imagine a goldfish battered chicken tender? Dude, I bet it'd be phenomenal. Oh, I already watched it. There's YouTube stuff on it already. Oh, yeah. Is there goldfish battered like spicy nacho Doritos? Like uh, spicy, what are they called? Spicy Cheetos. People make mozzarella sticks out of the spicy Cheetos. Yeah. Oh, I gotta try that. It's, yeah, it's, it's incredible. Southern <laughs> redneck just went, hell yeah, brother. <laughs> you know, like Mav, Mav has a video on it. Yeah, see, Mav is my favorite content creator of all time. Just putting that out there. Very simplistic too. And that's that's what I'm saying about that's Jeez. what kind of referring back to what I was gonna say. What I was saying is like I think the hyperly overproduced content definitely has a cap. And I think that the more the younger generation comes up into social and the more this older generation dies off, that type of content will be useless. Authentic. Yeah. Uh, you want that. I mean, Mav does it on a phone. It's authentic. It is it is real. It is raw. It is just cut together. And it's a beautiful story. And he does a very good job of telling a story. But at the end of the day, you don't need a red dragon to film YouTube videos. That's the point of YouTube is to be, I mean, just have a GoPro in your phone and just go tell the story. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mr. Beast is an anomaly. He's a, he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars and he's doing his own thing. But like all the rest of these content creators, it's the realism that draws me. Greg Blanchard's another great example. He's one of the, he's literally the only fishing YouTuber that I watch like, and actually sit down with the intention to watch Bailey. I'm sorry, but like <laughs> Bailey, I put videos on in the background and just like, let them play and let all the ads play. So I do do that for you, but like Greg and, and the reason what draws me to it, what draws me to it is just, it's real raw and just, not it's not uncut, but it's not like the most beautiful cinematography you've ever seen with like you know Spielberg cuts and like this and that. It's just like, mm-hmm. hey, we're going fishing. We're going to go catch some fish. And we're going to have a good time. Like yeah. at most, I think the drone shot. It's about it. Yeah, and I mean, but that's that is YouTube. That's how YouTube is to be operated. Like that is the function of what this thing is, and where you see the most success for with the most people. And I just think a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their head around that. And there was one thing I discussed with Edwin was like, Edwin, like, well, number one, you're going to get traction because it's you. People will come to see you because you're you. But number two, like, it does not have to be 4K all the time. Like, it can be mm-hmm. simplistic, filmed on your phone. Like, that's the point of it. 
You know what I mean? So we'll get off this topic. Now this is like my topic, so we can go for days yeah. on this because like this is what yeah, I get. We're forty minutes deep. Yeah, <laughs> forty minutes deep. I want to hit two more at least before we wrap it up. But this is probably should be a sequel to this one because yeah. we actually were supposed to have Mr. Benjamin Nowak on tonight, but I have a text that he's not joining us. So loser. Darn that man! But no, um, this is one we should definitely come back to um, as a larger group. I think we could have a really cool panel for something like this. But um, the one next one I wanted to get to, which has been kind of a recent craze, has been people that are fanatics about it. There's people that are hating on it, that are sick of it. Uh, and I'm not talking about just tech right now. Tech's a different conversation, which we talk about a lot. I don't even know that we full dive into it tonight. I'm more talking about the bait side of things. So are we hitting a wall of innovation when it comes to baits and fishing? That's my question to you guys. I'm going to say yes, because the more obnoxious that we come out with baits, like types of baits and styles of soft plastics, I feel like they catch less fish. To my mind, bass fishing lures should be simple. couple colors. Nothing crazy because bass feed on natural colors, natural shapes. And if you can make it resemble something that lives and breathes under the water and looks somewhat similar to what they naturally feed on, they're going to eat it. If it's green pumpkin, watermelon, black, blue, or red, like those are only five colors you really need to catch a bass. I don't know how I feel about this one just yet. Like part part of me thinks, I think when you look at the United States, from the baits that come out and the brands that are out here, I think you see very minute innovations, and usually the innovations are caused as a ricochet from something else changing. Like you see this movement of live sonar baits coming out, and that's same damn bait, just made it maybe some made in tungsten or maybe like this the jerk bait. I think it has a wider bill. I think, and that's just to have being the cone longer and it's made after because of the forward facing sonar. But then you look at like a Japan and, or uh, a Spain or Italy, and you see some of these wild new baits they have that kind of makes sense. And you look at him like, damn, that stuff looks good. And then there's some stuff that you're like, ah, that doesn't catch him. But then they come over to the United States and they wax their ass on them. So it's like, it's one of those things where it's just like, are we hitting a wall or are we just very shadow, like very, what is it called? Tunnel vision on what we have now. And like, cause that's how innovation is to us common folk where it's like, you're like, yeah, I think we're done here. And then somebody comes out and goes, Oh, why didn't I think of that? Like, I feel like that always happens, but like, I, I do think we're hitting a wall, but I do think that the wall is just because from like an, a universal standpoint, I think the wall is here. But I think we still have to branch out into different cultures, if that makes sense. I think that um, the fishing industry has hit its pinnacle. I think we're done. I don't know where we go anymore from here other than stuff that we look at on screens. be totally honest with you. Like, maybe that's me being kind of downtrodden about everything. But, like, you're right. Japan's got some cool stuff. and I mean, they'll keep innovating. But, I mean, you can only innovate so much more. You know what I mean? Like the most unique thing that I've seen this year is that little ball that's got little spines on it. It looks like a sea urchin, like that some company in Japan made. Like that's cool. But like, 
You know what I mean? Like, I just, I think that we've hit our pinnacle. Like, I don't know how, how like, yes, we can refine things, but I don't think there's going to be another giant leap in bait right. technology within the fishing industry. I don't think there's going to be another giant leap in rod and reel technology within the fishing industry. I don't think there's going to be another giant leap in line technology. I think there'll be small incremental steps, you know, percentages. It'll be 1% better, 2% better, maybe 10% better. But I don't see somebody going, this is 120% better than this other thing because of these list of factors. Like we're making it now out of, you know, plutonium or something. I don't know. You know, so they'll come up with something stupid. But I, that's my that's my viewpoint on that. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, I don't know. It's kind of like, you, you know, know what I think message, there's, but. I think there's one avenue that bass fishing from a bait standpoint and you maybe I mean I, I'm not knowledgeable on say salt in different avenues of fishing. I'm basically bass fishing. If you ask me anything else, I probably can't answer the question. But um, to my knowledge of bass fishing, I think the one avenue that we've yet to get into is baits being biodegradable. Yes, I think bi- I, that's what I was going to say. I think that anything, not only biodegradable, but also organics. I think I think if anybody within the fishing industry, and I think Berkeley will be the first one to do it, that can get into organics. And what I mean by organics are like literally 3D printing fish flesh, like being able to flesh, 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 um, flesh, flesh. <laughs> it's a flesh fleshing flasher. Um, but like if they can, you know, 3D print things like that in like figure out the hormone structure of a crawdad or a bait fish or another bass. I think those are big, huge leaps. But then I also think to myself, then where the hell do we draw the line? At what point do you just put a live shiner on the hook and let it get eaten? Because when we start talking about like hormone signatures and, you know, organics and bio, anything with like, you know, that real deal stuff, like, where do we draw the line at? At what point do we just start using live bait again? Well, there's another outside influence here too, where it could push it that way is like political issues, right? Like yes, going yes. green in the country. Like soon you're going to see, like you've already saw it in bass boat manufacturing and fiberglass and putting gel coat on, like taking right out there. certain toxins. I can't put it in. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it in a lot of States out West and like the steelhead, like natural wild steelhead streams. Like there's, there are states that limit how much scent you can carry in a boat or put on a bait because it's oh. not environmentally friendly. Like I believe it's the state of Washington or Oregon, somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. They can't even pour plastics with scent in them. Like it's just wow. outlawed. Like you can't buy it. You can't sell it. You can't make it. Mm. And like, that's going to be stuff that you're going to see probably in the near future, especially in states that favor heavy environmental regulations and laws that you're going to see stuff get passed to where certain plastics, certain weights and stuff will be completely banned in New York state. You can't even really sell lead if it's under a certain weight or buy it. You almost have to like smuggle it in. (laughs) So yeah, there's going to be that, that could be like a major game changer is just environmental factors. I mean, all it takes is a couple of politicians getting together and writing one law and we're all screwed. Yeah. And, and that, and that was something I wanted to bring up is not only the economics of bass fishing, but that like 
man, we teeter constantly on the edge of a group of people getting together and us being just done because you got to realize, and it's one thing that I don't think a lot of people realize is there's a lot more people who are against fishing mm-hmm. or who are uneducated about fishing and then will be against fishing because of that ignorance than there are fishermen who are fishing. And, and we have to be very, very careful with that because all it takes is a couple wrong votes or a couple wrong decisions or a couple misinformed, you know, uh, just even gallivants <laughs> and like, we're, we're screwed. We're done. Like none of us are going fishing because they'll take the right away from us. And so I think when you do get into things like organics and anything to do, like where we start getting into that kind of weirdness, like, I think that's where you start kind of playing with that line. You know what I mean? And you start getting where some politician get a wild hair and go, no, 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 we're not doing this. And it's that's, over. Yeah, I mean, and that's where it comes in the importance of, like, I believe it's called CCA, uh, the TRCP, which is the Teddy Roosevelt Conservation Program. I believe I said the acronym right. But basically, like, that one of their jobs are, one, focusing on conservation efforts that are uh, – whether it's North America or globally, mm-hmm. but like one of the, I think it believes the CCA that does their primary yeah. function is in DC vouching for not just fishing, but hunting being yep. on the front lines of dealing with these piece of crap people in DC that, you know, like to Alex's point where there's a lot more people that probably don't know what the hell comes to mm-hmm. fishing, what it entails. It might be, you know, oh, no, don't hurt the fish type of people, where if it comes to it, we're screwed because we're drastically out It's not food. Yeah. Yeah. Why are you sleeping? (laughs) Yeah, but, like, there there are some, like, counterpoints that you can argue on it as well, like fishing licenses in a lot of states go to, like, environmental research and sustainability in fisheries. Like, New York State is the the salmon and trout fishery. Is that's logical. It doesn't doesn't work nowadays. (laughs) Well, you're right, though, Andy. I mean, there there is always going to be the aspect of we make mm-hmm. money for the state, yeah. and that is a that is our ultimate shield against that sort of outside, you know, uh, attack. But I think that us as anglers also need to make a conscious effort to do to be the best possible example of a angler and as of a outdoorsman. And if that means shoreline cleanup, if that means the adjustment of regulations, if that means less tournaments, if that means less waterway abuse, if that means helping to, you know, fund and or, you know, volunteer in a project to redo a park near a boat ramp or to redo a boat ramp. I think those are the things that us as, us as anglers need to do that I don't see being done a whole, whole lot from anybody. Um, especially outside of my group, like, you know, us as a group here, like we're friends and, you know, our friends, you know, we all have a kind of similar mindset on how things should be done. And we all help to vouch for a better version of being an outdoorsman and a fisherman. But like when I show up to, you know, the boat ramp and there's a 150 boat tournament going on, you would be amazed how much trash gets left in the parking lot. How many people just, yeah. How many people, um, just throw their fish back in the water, like from four feet away and just in, instead of taking the time to try to do the best that they can with them and put them back, you know, and how many people do things based solely on the economic aspect for them, the money-making aspect. And they see a fish not as a living creature, 
and I'm not saying a fish has a soul. A fish is an animal. If the animal dies, it dies. Period. It's just what it is. You know, that's my perspective on it. Like yeah. I have, I have sanctity for life, and I have sanctity and respect for that creature. But it's still an animal. But I'm also not going to just treat it like it's a money sign, and willy nilly throw it around and do whatever I want to with it. Like I want to respect that fish the best I possibly can when I interact with it. Mm-hmm. I just don't see that being done. And I think that that's very important for us to do to, to have that extra layer. Cause we have the big guard, which is the economics. We make a lot of money for the country and for the federal government and for our state governments. I mean, fishermen make a lot of money, but I think we also need that secondary guard of not only are they making a lot of money, but they're also the best example of what it means to be a, an outdoorsman. It means we to be a to conservationist. Protect our resource that we Ex- use. Exactly. I mean, and, and truthfully, we need to like protect our resource. Like, I don't put this on camera because I'm not one to toot my own horn and jerk myself off. But I will go and I will take a trash bag to the boat ramp with me and I'll fill it completely full of trash that I find at the boat ramp and I'll put it back in my truck and I will take it home with me. And I'll make sure that it ends up where it needs to be, which is in the landfill and not at the boat ramp. I don't put that on video again because I don't want to toot my own horn, but those are the kinds of things that I am doing to try to help just to be the best that I can be at this. You know what I mean? And I think we got to have those guards. And I think that's one way that it all gets turned on us. You know what I mean? Is if we're not being the best that we can be. There's definitely arguments there though, that it's not the fishermen that are the reason for that. Like it's not anglers that are putting garbage at the boat ramps, but I I've seen it several times where it's either people that are your recreational boaters or shoot. I mean, I've seen people that drive to the boat ramp to drive down the boat ramp to look at the lake, getting in the way of people trying to back a boat down. They just drop their McDonald's bag out of the out of the car and just drive off. It, but when you are the guy who's there consistently, consistently weekend out, weekend in, day in, day out, you need to be the shining example. I know it's not your fault, right? But you need to be the best example of what it means because that is what guards us from anybody coming after us. Mm-hmm. Because then we can say. Hey, listen, it's not us, but guess who's cleaning it up? We are. It's you guys who are pulling down here and looking at the water and, and blocking the boat ramp. And we know you, we, you don't understand. And most of those people are just ignorant. Like I had a guy get in an argument with me one day because I said, hey, sir, I'm just gonna, I just want to let you know swimming on the boat ramp is illegal and I don't want you to get a ticket. Oh, I'll swim wherever I feel like it, you show them. And I'm just like, buddy, I'm literally not arguing with you. I'm just trying to tell you your ignorance right now of being on the boat ramp and not knowing the law is going to get you in trouble. And it's like, I, and so you just got to be the best example of it. You know what I mean? It's like, that's not you, but like trying to be the best example of how to do it, I think is so important for us as anglers. Yeah. Isn't it funny how that works? Like when you try to help some certain people, it's, it's, it's why we have a, we have a rule here in New York that like there's people, especially lakes that own docks, people have docks that people will leave their rods out with their lines in the water and they'll leave them unattended. They'll go back up in the house, which is technically illegal. And also they piss me off when I fish docks and I get my line wrapped around them. Uh, but also there's been times to do where there's fish on them. They're sitting there dead because they've been hooked for a whole day. Mm. And they've honestly, and that dude, and it's, they're also setting themselves up for a ticket if that happens and they're under the legal limit because technically they have to keep that fish. Yep. And it's not legal. So I always make it a point to take their lines and I throw it back on the dock. And I had one guy come screaming at me and I'm like, well, dude, what once you're doing is illegal. Game wardens right out there. Like 
I can have him come talk to you instead. But like, one, I'm helping you out, and two, just teaching you a lesson. Like, yeah, yeah, it's illegal. Yeah, he goes, well, if he's got a problem, you come to me, and I'm like, okay, I'm out. Like, it's it's, it, 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 it's a it's a fine line, right? It's it's there the are no solutions; man. there are only compromises, and it is just a massive amount of ignorance mm-hmm. of people. And and that's what I'm saying is like we have to be the best example as we can be because there's a lot more people who are ignorant to what we do than there are informed to what we do. And I think if we were to do it the right way, we could inform a lot of people and they would then side with us. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And Joe Rogan, I, I always go back to him and I know y'all probably get tired of it, but he does a really good job of, of talking about hunting and why hunting is important. Mm-hmm. There needs to be that that person in fishing, and we just don't have them. I tr- and I try, like I have my audience, and I try to put it out there as much as I possibly can. But it's like I can only do so much, and it's like you know, you just we all need to do it because we're all in the public eye. You know what I mean? And we can I'm, only do what we can do, so we might as well just set the best example for others that we can, and exactly. hopefully somebody else follows along. Because if you can get one person, they might be able to get another person, and then all of a sudden you start. Yeah, that snowball effect. So exactly. Yeah. Positive momentum. Positive momentum. And that's such a hard thing when you think about that to go on this tangent, but like it's a hard thing to do, especially with social media. Yeah. Dude, it is. Like I saw a video the other day on Facebook, and Facebook might be the worst of all of them, where it's there was some guy that found a deer that was stuck in a fence. He's helping this deer out of the fence. These guys are hunters. And like bunch of people are applauding it, and there's people like going after like budget like like hunting. Like the video doesn't even show any active hunting, but these guys have straps with binoculars on their chest, like their binos and everything. The one guy had his bow strapped on his back, but they're helping out like a nice buck too. Like they very easily could have just probably shot the damn thing, but like, <laughs> but like they they're helping the deer, and they're like hunters, or whatever. Like, why would you take a video of this? Like, this is just. This is just acting like it, it's and then they start to go a great on. example of why I don't even film what I do, because it's just going to be people that are like, you're only doing this to be seen. No, I I want to I want to set an example, but it's almost not worth setting the example mm-hmm. because it's like, you know, what you said, Bailey, it's like you're going to get chastised by somebody. But all at the same time, you just don't even look at the so- comment. When you uh, get chastised by that person, those are the same people, in my opinion, that uh, hold save the earth rallies and then leave all their trash behind at the rally. Yes, yes. So, and all it is is ignorance. It's just yeah. ignorance. I mean, yeah. it's not, you're not stupid. You're just ignorant. You're, you have a lack of knowledge in that aspect. You know what I mean? So, yeah. we're doing this because everyone else is doing it. So, we figured we follow along. Oh, and then- yeah. <laughs> all the Me Too movement piece pisses me off beyond belief. Beyond belief. Yeah. All right, so I don't know what's the next topic because I have something I want to discuss here that I think is interesting. Well, do you want to do that one? And the last one I had was fisheries. We can wrap, we can wrap it up. You can choose which one you want to leave. We it can off. do fisheries too because we can kind of we can kind of squirrel that one in there. Maybe fisheries. I think it can honestly be kind of quick, but I think it's important to talk about because it's because it's interesting because. Right, we're gonna, we're gonna go into fisheries. Really long, depending on which tangent we get on. Well, okay. Well, let, me, let me put my question out there, and then All we'll right. see. Well, you guys gauge what you think. It's I'm going gonna, to gonna put a statement out there. How about that? It's not a question. It's a statement. Nope. Okay. Um, I, be- I believe. I <laughs> believe. 
Thanks. Um, yeah, um, hashtag shut up. Um, so I believe the rate at which we are moving with the increases in prices of things in fishing, that the bar for accessibility into fishing as a recreation is going to get so high that we are literally going to, when I, when I say we uh, speak of the industry, that the industry as a whole is going to put itself in a financial situation. It's not going to be able to recover from because we're not going to be making enough money. And I think that this little just stint of inflation that we're dealing with now is a indicator of that exact thing. Shit is too expensive for people, normal people who makes up 90% of the people, I would say 99% of the people who buy things within the fishing industry to be able to fish. Baits should not be $15. There's no reason for them to be $15. And these giant corporations are going to have to be able to take a 20% cut on a bait so that people can afford to go fishing. Boats are $100,000, if not more. Like, I saw a Skeeter the other day that was $115,000. Kayaks are getting ridiculously priced. Like, I saw it was a paddle kayak the other day. It's a new one coming out. It's going to be priced at $2,100. Like, you know what the issue is here, Rudd? It's that a lot of the materials that we use to produce and stuff, even if it's made in the United States, comes from overseas, right? Mm -hmm. And then what happened with inflation is the fact that there was a supply and demand issue. And now all of a sudden it caused prices to go up because there's low supply of materials. And when you have countries like China, where most of our manufacturing importation comes from, that they house all these materials, well... When they lock down Hong Kong for a month long because they're still having COVID outbreaks that they're terrified of, it ultimately affects the supply chain here. And therefore, the price goes up because there's a limited supply and it just screws everyone. What I I would love to see then is an approach of let's bring manufacturing to Mexico, to Puerto Rico, because manufacturing in Mexico is one third the cost of China. And they're our neighbor. Yeah. So you eliminate the 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 having to bring things across the Pacific Ocean and put them on ships. We can make them in Mexico and bring them across the border and have them here. And I think that but the problem is is there's I think there's much bigger, definitely with big corporations. I think there's much bigger things at play as far as like pockets getting padded by certain manufacturers to make sure that the manufacturing stays there. That is totally out of our control. But, but all that being said, I just still think, I still think that we are on a trajectory of breaking ourselves within the fishing industry. Like I think it's going to get to the point where people just don't buy fishing stuff anymore. And if they do, they're going to buy the most affordable fishing stuff. And I think the company that can do a really good job of making the most affordable fishing stuff is going to start to grow substantially over the next five to six years. And it's probably going to be a company who's really good at social media. (laughs) I'm going to take, so I'm going to take the devil's advocate on this. I'm going to oppose this one for the pure fact of one of being in the industry, being with probably the biggest uh, fishing brand in the industry with pure fishing 
owning 25 million brands uh, is this is something they actively talk about. Um, so you're seeing this escalation. You know, let's take it Abu Garcia, right? That just came out with new Xenon reels that are at $500. Astronomical. But what they did is they also made new reels at lower price points to help match that. I think what they did is to, to level that to like, could they, what they do is now there's just, there's just, it's levels. So you have a reel at 50, you have a reel at 80, you have a reel at 115, you have a reel at 150, 200, and then you have a 500. That's like, you're basically people that are bougie as hell. Wish I had their kind of, you know, F you money type of deal where it's, I think it's companies like that though, that, that are doing a good job of while they might increase their, or expand their lineup more pricey, but they're making sure to level that out by coming out with products that are more affordable. If not take it. So to agree with you, right. I'm going to say, I think before we get to that point, there's a lot of very, very, very smart individuals in the fishing industry. I think that would acknowledge that. And some company or two would, would step forward in terms of a movement to make things more affordable for people. And there still are people doing that now. Yeah. Cast King is, I mean, Cast King comes to mind and, you know, I've had a Cast King product and back in the day, this is four or five years ago. It wasn't great, but I believe what they're doing now is they're making high quality, as high quality as they possibly can. I mean, I, I think everything's high quality at this point. I think anybody that looks at any reel and goes, or it ain't a Cronarch, so it ain't no good, is the same people who go, I drive a Lexus. Well, Lexus is the same damn thing as a Toyota. It's just got a few more bells and whistles, and they're dragging the price up on it. Like, I think everything is so good at this point that there's nothing that's really bad. You know what I mean? And, like, to make something bad is just to be lazy. Um, I would honestly argue that fishing's more accessible now because of this. Because you have brands all over the damn place in Walmart, in Academy Sports, in Dick Sporting Goods, and you have but 300 brands that have affordable gear. But but you got to look in in within your within what you just said there. You look at Academy and Bryce Pro. What do they all have? They're house brands. Yeah. House brands. They're affordable. And what they've done, and most people will go in and they'll buy the house brand because because it is more affordable. And they'll go. I will use this thing because it is it is three dollars less or a hundred dollars less than the six cents or Berkeley product. Berkeley does a really good job of keeping things affordable. I'm very proud of Berkeley's ability to like like you know, the Agent E is a great example. One dark sleeper costs like eight ninety nine, two agent E's cost eight ninety nine. And so Berkeley does a really good job of this. But like other brands that I see don't do a great job of this, and people will just buy the h2o brand or whatever is it magellan now or is it still h2o h2o express h2o express so they'll buy that thing because it is just it's the same exact thing in the same exact color probably made in the same exact factory it's but it's three dollars cheaper and like when i used when i was a kid i would go buy either lose or abu garcia reels that were on sale or my favorite one was a bass pro shops pro qualifier and they would run a sale every year where they would have those pro qualifiers for like $39.99. And you could go, I would go buy like 12 of them bad boys because they had not only they had that, and then they had like a two-year warranty on them. So if I broke them, you just go get a new one. Right. And like that's the I think, and that's where my statement that I've said before, and I think I said it around you, I'm not sure, that moving into the future of bass fishing, I think that brands will be very, 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 very smart 
in going doubling down on social media, doubling down on content creation, content and content creators, mom and pop tackle shops where you have a one-on-one connection with the person who's buying from you and big box stores and being able to compete with big box stores in not only pricing, but advertising and all those kinds of things. And, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I definitely hear what you're saying. Fishing is probably in a way more accessible now than it ever has been probably from a rod reel bait standpoint. But like when you look at fishing as a whole, like, from platforms to fish off of and boats and things like you used to be able to buy a boat. People used to be able to afford boats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't afford a boat anymore. And people used to be able to afford kayaks, but kayaks are getting to the point where they're not affordable anymore. And that's why I say like a Crescent is a, it has value because a kid who's 15 years old can work at a bag and groceries at a grocery store and save up his money to buy a Crescent kayak and then go get them a few rods and reels and be able to do the same thing that Drew Gregory does, mm-hmm. you know? And so I don't know. It's interesting. I, I really am going to be interested to see. I walked into tackle store today. I just went to go visit. I like to go visit the tackle store every now and again, because they're really nice people. Um, and so I went in there and there was a spool of cigar braid hanging there and it was 31 99. Mm-hmm. And then I walked by the six cents racks and every single one of the baits was eleven ninety nine. And then I went over to the rods and every rod over there was 150 plus dollars. And I was just like, man, like this shit is really expensive. <laughs> like it's just, it's just really expensive. And I, and I just worry that we're going to literally price ourselves out of existence. Yeah. Another point though, you can add in there though, like tying in social media, right? You can take the Kistler and the Wu Tungsten and whatever mom and pop, company you can think of and their pro staff influencer model where they give people everyone 10 percent discounts mm-hmm. and they're only doing that to influence their sales mm-hmm. income right like so they're trying to increase their gross profit so why not give everyone a 10 percent discount on a price but what people don't realize is like with Kistler when they did this, and I'm not calling out Kistler or anything. I just kind of followed like their prices over the years. And you're calling out Kistler. No, no, we're not calling out Kistler no. at all. But you saw when they launched their pro staff program, you actually would watch the prices of their rods increase, even though they would just change the models of it. And the reason why is they're getting money back from all these people they're putting on their pro staff program. Like tungsten mm. companies are the same way. Like, yeah. with wound tungsten and Titan, whoever else is out there doing like the 10% off pro staff stuff, the prices are minutely more expensive, but because they have thousands of pro staff people doing 10%, that means those people that have that 10% code are more likely to buy from them than going to a major retailer. Therefore yeah. it increases their direct profit to them. Therefore they are making more money. Mm-hmm. So like, I think you're going to ultimately see a lot more companies doing stuff like that and be like, Hey, we'll mark up our prices 5% and we'll give everyone 10% off. So they feel like they're getting a better deal than they are. Mm-hmm. And now we're generating more direct income as opposed to selling thousands of product. to You, know, you make a really good point because I think what you're probably going to see too is a rise of direct to consumer period. Yeah. So that, you see a pure efficient doing it. Yes. Yeah. It's a direct and consumer period because I mean, hell Ford says they're going direct to consumer yeah. Ford vehicles. <laughs> like that's nuts. What is but, that new thing? It's called like vroom, right? Where it's like your door to door service drops off of your car. 
Well, yeah. I think a lot of like Ford actually owns their own car dealerships because we have one closing here in Gowanda, which is a Ford car dealership, which is a little town, tiny little town about an mm-hmm. hour south of me. And they're literally just redirecting the vehicles to another Ford dealership that's 20 minutes down the road. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah and so, so I think I think you're going to see I think that I think that is one piece of the remedy is just more direct to consumer and being able to mark that price down a little bit because tackle warehouse doesn't have to touch it because if you really think about a fishing thing and then we'll get off this topic because i I, I talked through this with my dad the other day because my dad he has a mind like this how many touches a a fishing bait has from china let's say first it's made in china so that's one touch transport actually actually first you got to get the raw materials so that's one touch and then it's made that's two touches and then it's packaged. That's a third touch. Then it's put on a, a freight, you know, a, a freight, you know, something to ship it across the ocean. That's a fourth touch. And then it's unpackaged and, and put in a truck. That's a fifth touch or sixth touch. And then it's taken either to a retailer or to a website and put on a rack. That's a seventh touch. And then it's bought by somebody. That's an eighth touch. And let's say that it's bought at a store. That's, that's its final time. So then it's last that's components that shipped over here to add to that process. That is just a part that gets assembled. That assembled goes to merchandising and yes. merchandising goes to the store, which is yes. tra- more transport. Yes. To therefore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, like, and so you're talking about product, like we are in a weird industry where like we have products that have nine, 10, even sometimes 11, 12 touches before it ever even gets into the consumer's hands. So no wonder they're so damn expensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's because of that. Like we're, you know, like other things, I don't know a great example of something, but like there are products that may have one, two touches at most and it's at the person's door. You know what I mean? And so, I don't know, interesting. It was an interesting kind of thought that I had. I wanted to flesh it out with you guys because I knew it would be a good discussion, but it's like just the whole, the whole, I have this like fear that we're going to price ourselves out of existence. And yeah, I, I don't know if you're going to price ourselves out of existence. I think when you're going to see like that pro staff model, right? Where like they mm-hmm. start just pumping discount codes out there to because there's margins on everything mm-hmm. but i think we are getting to a point in society that we're not going to see big box stores in the very new future and everything mm-hmm. is literally going to be online direct mm-hmm. to consumer like you might have like a dick sporting goods and it might become like an eighth of the size that it is and it's literally just a center to have direct returns Mm-hmm. And pickups and like limited product inside stores, kind of well, like, like kiosk. That's like, the only reason Kohl's is even existent because they do returns for Amazon. Yep, and that's the only reason Kohl's is open and it takes up like a quarter of the back corner, like a quarter of the store, just yeah. Amazon racks. But by them strategically putting Amazon in there. Now that consumer is walking through that store and they're like, oh, I like that shirt. And now they end up walking out of Kohl's with $200 in product that they never planned on buying because Kohl's has that working partnership with Amazon to get them in the door. So you're going to see like these big box stores probably become like conglomerates together to influence that to follow like an Amazon model. Walmart's doing it now. They basically do the same thing Amazon does. Yeah. So. They have I think the only thing that's weird about the fishing industry is that we are a group of people who love to touch things. <laughs> Not is. only our wieners, but the baits that we throw as well. But like, like for real though, fiddlers. Like, we're little yeah. fiddlers. We just we're little fiddlers, man. And so that's why I always think that 
I think mom and pop shops, especially like tackle stores, tackle yeah. shops, I think they'll always exist because no matter what, like I've, I have literally seen people go into the local tackle shop and go, I've been standing there when this happened. Cause they walk in, they go, Hey Alex, how are you? I'm like, I'm good. I'm like, da, 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 da. And they're like, I'm going to go look at money badgers. They walk over to the money badger and they go, okay, that's cool. See y'all. And then they go home and they order it, which is weird, but they like, they still, they want to touch it first. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. the only thing that these mom and pop shops can do is find a way to get the internet, like an internet store and start shipping out of that retailer to the consumer. But that's where I was talking back on like the discount thing, right? Like they might raise their prices a little bit, but be like, Hey, if you direct your sales to online, We'll mm-hmm. give you a 10% off coupon every time you buy. Put your email like, address in, 5% off, 10% off. Free. Or even like a subscription model. Yep. Like you go, hey, if you pay 10 bucks a month, we're going to give you 25% off. Yeah. And it's like, you know, people in their brains, you save money, but really in truth, you're not saving any money. But it's like. You it's see the price thing. inflate. The price might be a little bit more there than everywhere else. But because you're getting 25% off, they're still making $2.50 on their margin. And now direct, yeah. I like that. I studied economics in college. Go. So go. I got a podcast for you then. Remind me, I'll send it to you. It's a good <laughs> one. You'll like it. I love those. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about. Uh, talk about yeah. So this will be our last one for the night. Um, so talking about the lakes, the lakes itself, because without the lakes, we don't have a fishing industry. Uh, I guess you could argue we have salt because we have oceans, but we have kayaks. You, oh, oh, yeah. I, no, sorry. Don't. What I was thinking boats, like my mind was going back to environmental risk factors and governments taking away like biodiesel products and gasoline, and soon we'll all be running electric outboards and kayaks. Just that's where my brain was going. I okay, that makes more sense. I was just more like, that's a good have lakes. He goes, well, at least we have kayaks. Yeah, (laughs) I was like, what? I'm thinking, like, we have horse and buggy. What? What Boats and don't mind me. I apologize. No, so. the premise of this is like, I mean that that do, that is a good question of, in regards to boats, but I don't ever see that going away because take away gasoline and everything, I don't think people would do. That. I don't know. That's more that's way too political for my brain. But I'm more looking at like fisheries themselves from an environmental standpoint. Can they withstand? You know, we've seen obviously the fisheries that we've known that used to be these immaculate fisheries back before this technology arose. But you also have lakes, like we talked about earlier episode out West that like you look at a, it wasn't Mojave Lake Mead. That is like, what a hundred something plus feet down something ridiculous. Like what does it look like say 10, 15 years from now, if there isn't more activation on lake sustainability I mean, I'm not just asking from a fish pressure and like fishing. Can it withstand it more like, what does it look like? Like, are we going to, especially, I mean, I can't be the only one thinking that the weather patterns in the past few years have been absolutely freaking bonkers. So I, um, I think you just made that very, a very existential question that like is really, really hard to answer. I know (laughs) this one says y'all over the place. So Lake Erie here, like let's take a natural Great Lake for example. What I do every year is I study water temps and you can go back and find like water temp logs back like 70 years. On average, 
like every seven years, Lake Erie will go through a phase all the way back to like 1930 where it wouldn't freeze. I think we have a lot of environmental hysteria that comes into weather patterns, but there's also little things that they don't account for, like continental shift and stuff like that. And where everything aligns the the earth doesn't rotate on the same axis every time it spins around right it's always changing because of magnetic pull and shift but like lake mead for an example yes they go through bad droughts and it might refill a little bit but you also have to remember the city that pulls water out of there for drinking water is ever expanding every year in las vegas right so constantly drawing on a resource that was dammed that was once the, Col- I believe it's the Colorado River that Lake Mead dumps into, right? Mm-hmm. I believe, yeah. So they dammed a river to make it a sustainable water source for a couple thousand or a couple hundred thousand people. And now like hundreds of thousands of people live That's there. Millions and at this point. If millions and they're building giant infrastructure, skyscrapers, casinos, sporting events. So all that is what's drawing the water out of there the colorado is an ever-flowing thing that is thousands of miles long but lake mead constantly gets drawn down further because they need that water that's in the lake to sustain life people should not be living in a desert like that is just my thought process it's not the most environmentally friendly place to live when it's 110 degrees during the day and 41 degrees at night so you have a lot of funky things that go on out there in the desert you want a hot take on that like yeah. when i hear there's an earthquake in california i'm like what y'all fucking expect yeah like, you, you live know, on the biggest florida a hurricane hit florida um yeah that's kind of what hit buffalo it's going to happen but i think there's like a lot of little different things that are in the environment that we don't talk about like at one point all the continents were one right now they're they're they still shift every year yet it might be inches but the earth as we know doesn't rotate on the same axis all year it's constantly changing based on the magnetic pole inside the earth from the moon the sun whatever there's so many different things that we have that celestial movements like it's it is so huge and like i mean like yes and that's what i talk about i've I've talked about that before it's like there are factors that are celestial huge celestial bodies literally shifting in space we're not where we were when it all started we're not going to be where we were when it all ends it's like we that is a factor that is so existential that we can't even take into account almost you know what i mean yeah i agree with that now i will give you a hot take to draw this back in to kind of draw you back in here and kind of get you on a on a little level let's the the macro the macro not the macro yeah let's go macro micro i like micro over macro but i believe that (laughs) yes sorry i had to it's all about the motion (laughs) I'm growing out of shower. Um, <laughs> I believe that the rise of college, high school, middle school, and now elementary school angling in tournaments is probably one of the least beneficial things for our fisheries. Hmm. As far as a bass population and the sustainability of a fishery and bass specifically that has happened in the past decade. The reason that I say that is because just like 
every other tournament that goes on, they're only getting bigger. And I'm going to have a guest on my podcast here in a couple weeks that I'm very excited to have on because I'm going to pose a question and I'm going to make a statement and I can't wait to see the reaction to it. And my statement is, yes, professional fishing organizations may be very, very good at fish care because they're professionals. They get paid to do it. Like there's somebody there whose sole job day in, day out is the conservation and making sure that those fish live through the process of a professional tournament going on. Local, high school, middle school, college tournaments do not have those people. They do not have the same set of standards that they're held to as those people are. And I believe that there's a lot more fish mortality and a lot more fish movement from one place to another on lakes that lakes are getting to the point that they can't sustain like they used to or we're not going to see the recovery in a certain age class or size class of fish in certain parts of the lakes and certain lakes because of the immense amount of pressure from all levels of angling now interesting it's a good hypothesis well i mean that's the one thing we've we've said a bunch is like Fishing is the one sport that has a cap. It has a ceiling. You can make another football field. You can make another basketball court. You can't, I mean, you can make another lake, but the timetable is a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Like, and there's only so much room you can put a lake. Mm-hmm. A basketball court, you can fit into a building. A lake, you can't exactly just plop those around the corner. And, and there's a time frame of which fish reach a certain size class and age class. Mm-hmm. Like, I was listening to a podcast earlier it was a true crime podcast about the great American uh, paddle fish heist. Um, and it was really fascinating, but they were talking about, it takes a, it takes a paddle fish 10 years to just get to the age where it can produce the row that it needs for them to get the caviar out of it. And that, hmm. that these Russians were killing these fish and they killed so many of them so quickly that an entire age class of fish was decimated. And that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying we're ever going to fish out the lakes because we all know that's not possible. It's not possible. I mean, they're too prolific of a little creature to literally kill them all. And they just know how to adapt. They're very resilient. And they're very resilient. They know how to adapt. But what I am saying is that we can kill an entire age class and size class of fish. I'm convinced of that. And if we do that, and I think that's being done through. Proof of the pudding's Kentucky Lake like eight years ago. Watts bar now. (laughs) I mean, like, like it's just, I worry, I worry a lot about that. And I hope that I, I hope that I'm wrong. I really do. But just from my anecdotal experience as an angler and in day in, day out experience in these lakes and experience in other lakes throughout the country. I mean, cause you know, you talk to other anglers from uh, other parts of the country. I mean, I'm sure you guys can vouch for it as well, that there are lakes that just aren't the same as they used to be. And it may not be tournament angling in every instance, and it may not be, you know, it could be them spraying grass. I think that's a huge factor as to why Watts Bar is as sick as it is, is because they sprayed a lot of the grass. But I also believe it's the fact that they have, that Kingston, and I'm calling them out right now, Kingston and Spring City have hoard that lake out like a dirty whore for three years now, and they've had so many tournaments there. And it's just, it's abuse. It's abuse of the fishery, and I believe that there's an age class and a size class of fish that I don't know if it doesn't exist, but it's a lot rarer than it used to be. Mm -hmm. Or they've adapted and gone and hid somewhere where people aren't targeting them. 
or they've been moved. They've physically been picked up and moved to another end of the lake because somebody caught them. Yeah, that too. But I have, like, in the past, hasn't, like, bass as an organization but like trackers on some fish just to watch their fish movements on like i think they did on lake champlain and they it was on a smallmouth if i remember it was like a three pound smallmouth that was weighed in at plattsburgh and like two days later it was back like 60 miles from the boat launch or something insane i mean they move a ton but yeah but i think when you're talking about green fish specifically smallmouth are different smallmouth are they're movers so are spots different yeah they're both different (laughs) like like i just don't you're never going to convince me unless you show me a large enough data set in a study that a largemouth bass caught in the river on watts bar can be taken all the way to the city of spring city and released, and it's going to somehow find its way back up that curvy ass lake all the way. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's going to go to the first dock it sees that doesn't have a bass on, be like, I'm home. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so, I don't know. I mean, it worries me. And I mean, maybe I'm missing a, maybe I'm missing an input. And I, but like the only input that I see is 400 boat high school tournament on Watts Bar, 150 boat. Ohio State Club Tournament on Watts Bar, two hundred boat jerk me off tournament on Watts Bar. I mean, like in in or any of these lakes, and it's like it's that's the only input that I see. That in the spraying of the grass are the two inputs that I see that have been detrimental to that specific lake. And so maybe my anecdotal mind is taking me to a place. Maybe I'm coming up with a a what's the word I'm looking for? I'm coming up with my own villain. Right, I'm creating my own villain because that's what my mind wants to do. But I, I just, I just don't think that that's. I think it has something to do with that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I, I worry. I worry about our fisheries. To be totally honest with you, not only because of that factor, but because of so many other factors. I mean, money it's, and it's, sounds yes. like natural human competition, desire for competition. It will be the. Yeah. Down do they pull watts bar down in the spring and like winter for like winter pool or is that one of the more stable lakes on the TVA? It's it's more stable. They'll pull it down, you know, three four feet at the most. You know, it's not it's not big. It's not big. It's not deep enough to have like twenty foot drawdowns like a Norris is. You know what okay. I mean? Yeah. And I tell you something else. I also worry about and I see as a big factor. And I've scared some people because. I'm not getting responses like I used to after a podcast that I did is the, the city's ability to just whore out a body of water. It's not right. I worry about that. That's a whole nother factor that I think that's another input that we don't take into consideration. I don't know what it's like in New York or what it's like anywhere else, but I know here that, you know, Knoxville got paid or paid bass to show up to fish the classic here. Okay we got to assume that there's going to be a residual effect from the classic being here of more tournaments coming here to be fished here, not only on a local level, but on a national level as well. Okay. So the city of Knoxville not only spent that money, but then they're going to also make money, but I don't see any input back into the fishery. And so there's another input to the detriment of the fishery. It's being used and we'll say abused in a way that it's not used to and it never was used to because there wasn't the financial incentive like before or there's a new age of financial incentive 
that's being placed upon these fisheries and on these bodies of water to perform and put out like you know they like when people come to chickamauga they expect to catch 40 pound bags right she ain't always gonna be put out she ain't gonna put out like that if we don't put back into her right this is texas is the prime example <laughs> they are the beautiful yeah. example they're a shining city on a hill <laughs> yeah so uh. this one is it's a scary one but probably one of the most important because without the fisheries there is no fishing, fishing. social media yeah. there's no fishing industry there's no fishing business there's and I think that's the one that I think the the conversations are ramping up, and there's definitely been some had in the past few years, but there's not enough action. Nope. Right. And there's not enough action because of money. It's all money. Yeah. I'll it's tell you, good. like, I don't like fishing smallmouth tournaments in the summer. Like, we have Buffalo in the last couple of years has had way more tournaments on it, and the fishing isn't the same as it used to be. We don't see nearly as many big fish. Like, we have big fish, and we have good numbers, but, like, I I see it every year, like come July, there's weeks out there where you can hardly get five bites in a lake that is infiltrated, like nutrient rich to have smallmouth thrive on them. And then you'll see tournaments where they just weigh them in and they catch them from 40 feet of water and they'll throw them in a harbor where the water temp's 75 degrees and they don't even make it back to the lake. And these can be 20, 30 boat tournaments. It's like, how do you hold people accountable that actually run these tournaments and harm these animals with improper care. Like, like we are truly detrimental to our own resource that we love. And I think the big thing is money. Like people are doing it because they just want to feel like they have a shot to gamble and win something. Albeit it's probably $75. It's the human desire for competition because we fuel off of adrenaline. We fuel off the satisfaction of winning. Yeah. It's a drug. Where though. How do I say this? I thought he froze. (laughs) Words, Alex, words. Words. They they escape me sometimes because my brain's going 5,000 miles an hour. Um, what? Come on, teach. I don't. <laughs> I don't remember ever. Okay, the first time. Okay, so the the like the 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 catalyst to this words whole, are hard. Words are hard. <laughs> what I'm trying to figure out how I want to say this. The catalyst to this whole influx of tournaments for my perspective started when they had the Bassmaster Elite Series on Cherokee Lake. It was like from that time forward every city council around here was like how many more of these can we do? And it's like there's been no consideration for how many can the lake take. For you guys is there a point at which you remember that like tournament fishing just like ramped to a whole nother level? Like I don't remember before that tournament fishing existing at, at the level as, as it does meaning like you had Tuesday night or Wednesday night or Friday night or Saturday morning tournament, high school, college, 
middle school, elementary school, open, BFL, MPFL, BASS, MLF. I mean, like, and it's like, it's like there's so many like tournaments now. Like, I don't remember before that, like, and maybe I didn't recognize it, but I don't remember before that there being that many tournaments. Are there just that many tournaments now? Is it like that big of a aspect of what we do or is it just am i missing something so i don't think you're missing anything i think it's one people are finding the sport and growing within the sport and you have so many boat ramps on your lakes that you can host multiple tournaments at one time right Mm -hmm. here in new york a lot of our lakes have one two maybe three boat ramps some of them are private some of them are new york state new york state ramps you need a permit to host a tournament unless it's a kayak i don't know i can't speak on that side of things don't need a permit yeah so like for a boat tournament we have to pay to have a tournament there so if it's like 20 boats or less it's this price if it's 20 to 40 boats it's this price if it's 40 to 60 boats it's this price if it's over 100 can this boat ramp even handle it like a lot of our boat ramps can handle maybe 20 to 30 boat trailers on a lot of our inland lakes, small boat harbor. If you ever come here, Alex, you'll laugh at the size of the parking lot. It literally can park a thousand boat trailers on it. Like it's absolutely insane. It's like an eight wide taken dump in boat launch. It's beautiful. It's an absolutely beautiful boat launch and it can handle it because the lake is so vast and big, mm-hmm. but New York state actually does a pretty good job at limiting how many boat tournaments that can be on a body of water on the same day. So for instance, I'll name drop Honey Eye Lake, which is a small figure lake here Mm -hmm. in central New York. You might be able to have a 50, 60 boat tournament there, but you can only have one permit per day. But you get guys that will break the law and not register for a permit and show up, and there's zero enforcement on it. Mm. Zero. So, I love how like, you say name dropping as if yeah. you're exposing it. No, I'm just here. saying the name of a lake, right? Like, <laughs> but then you have bigger lakes like in Oneida that has three or four different boat ramps, but they're all some are town controlled, some are state controlled, and you could have four or five tournaments out there at one time. I think that was like one of the ultimate downfalls of Lake Oneida is holding tournaments there in the middle of summer and improper fish care guys flipping bass on the deck. It's 90 degrees over there almost all time. It's on a a slightly risen plateau in New York <laughs> state. And when you're scraping smallmouth and boat flipping them in, because that's the coolest thing to do and not getting them off the carpet instantly, they got all kinds of sores because the lake has like a hundred creeks that dump into it. that have a bunch of phosphorus from farms. Mm. So there's all these, toxic algae blooms and chemicals in the water that ultimately affect the fish. I think where I'm getting at with this is there's a lot of outside factors that harm the fish population besides anglers. But I think anglers are probably the biggest reason why we're seeing a decline in a lot of fisheries across the country because of just improper And now I just added that topic to you. Next week, we have Steve Barden, fisheries biologist, coming back on the show. We're going to talk about that because I'm curious if boat flipping actually does affect fish. I just, I just, I don't know. I just, I I would love to have somebody else's perspective on just the amount of tournaments because it is like, I feel like it is just constant. Like, it is never looking into that. 
the T V A, I believe, right? It's just TWRA. TWRA was, yeah. They were he's John said that it is a proposal at this point. Like it's not even mm-hmm. anywhere near being anything, but they are looking at a system of which you have to register where you're going to be and how many people are going to be there. So just um, like a permit log, basically. Yes. Yeah. And you wouldn't have to pay anything, but it would just help to like, oh, hey, the you know fire benefit tournament is at point 19, so we don't need to go there. But then they all go to Anderson County or they all go because we have giant boat ramps that can hold all these people. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's one thing about our fisheries. And, and I just don't know. I have a really, really bad problem with the cities and these municipalities being able to just whore these lakes out willy nilly whenever they feel like it without any input from anglers or from anybody. Like it's just, I have a real issue with that. And I can't seem to find anybody that can answer my question without averting my question. And it's just, they just don't know. Cause the way they're looking at it from uh, an economic standpoint is like, Oh, well, hell if we let all these people come in and fish these tournaments, they're going to eat at our restaurants. They're going to fill their boat at the gas stations. They're going to buy their soda pop at that corner store. And there's the last factor is the fish and the lake. Yeah. The last thing that they think about. The first factor is money. The second Mm -hmm. is, can we house how many people are coming? That's why like, and I'm going to, skip back here to like to Super Bowl and football that we mentioned earlier, right? Like football. The reason why the Super Bowl only goes to like five cities ever is because of infrastructure. Uh-huh. It, there's not enough hotel room accommodation to support the cast of fans coming into cities, but it's probably the same way with like these tournament organizations minus the infrastructure. They're just like, how can we get as many people traversing through our city to help lift the economic status of our township yep and and, and you have and it doesn't help that you have dnrs and department of natural resources going well i mean you know you're never going to fish them out because that's that's what it i mean that's the truth like you're never going to fish them out but i don't think that there's enough communication of but you can hurt a certain age class and a size class of fish and you can move fish around and there is fish mortality and in the more tournaments we have the higher fish mortality rates that we're going to have and you know the residual of bringing in the bassmaster classic on fort Lyon lake is probably a tournament every single weekend if not multiple every single weekend because they want to emulate the bassmaster and we can't regulate those people's fish care or any of that. And so instead of having 52 tournaments in a year, we have a hundred and, you know, however many tournaments in a year. And then you double the mortality of fish that are caught that were going to die because they were being caught. And then the movement of fish. And that's the things that compound and worry in my mind. And I, and I've yet to hear a straight answer because I don't think people know. And I honestly, I think because, like I said, the rise in tournaments and the rise in the amount of tournaments has come so quickly that we're literally in the experiment right now. Mm-hmm. And I worry that when we come off the other side of this experiment, we're going to be in a hell of a lot worse place than we were when we started it. And that's kind of where I see that we're at is we're at the top of the the threshold right now. And I don't know how long we can stay there and how long some of these lakes can sustain before they clock off to the other side. Well, the good and bad news is they are already aware of it because of the Kentucky Lake debacle where they had all those BFLs and bigger tournaments where there was just dead, giant, largemouth floating around everywhere, right? But, like, unfortunately, the way 
we as a society across the entire world, the only time things happen is when something catastrophic happens. Yep. So like you almost have to wait for that doomsday scenario before people are like, Oh shit, pardon my French. We need to fix this now. Cause we're not, uh, we're not a fix it. What's the word I'm looking for? See now words are bad for me. Like, <laughs> We are not a society that looks to fix things before it is broken. We mm-hmm. wait for it to break before we fix. We are not a preemptive society. Yeah, yeah. we are not preemptive. That is the word I was looking for. We, and, and you know, we are like, reactionary. And you're right. I mean, we are seeing some cha- – I mean, Douglas Lake is a great example. I mean, the anglers on Douglas Lake and specifically the tournament anglers on Douglas Lake said, hey, we're not seeing a size class of fish that we're used to seeing. And so they've changed the regulations on Douglas Lake to help to try to accommodate a the growth of a certain size class of fish within the lake. We're just going to see more of that. And it's interesting. I don't know. It's very interesting. I think the future of our fisheries is very dependent on a lot of factors. And I think angling pressure is just one of many, many inputs that are detrimental to our fisheries. And I th- but I do I do see it as maybe the most anecdotal anecdotal and noticeable one that I ha- can make a correlation to more tournaments equal l- my ability to catch fish lessening <laughs> you know what I mean and it's like but maybe too there's a whole nother input that I'm not recognizing as far as like climate change input of chemicals you know um, boating pressure. Um, sound waves from 5G. I mean, hell, I don't know. You know, whatever other factors. Yet he's squawking in the woods behind the lake all night. Like, keep (laughs) See, this is where I think, I think one thing we messed up in having this episode was the various topics we had, we've, we've had, we're all like the three of us are all essentially, we are players in the game but also I guess fans and we're able to analyze from the front lines of being a consumer or different players, but we're not like, it would be really good. I think if we had this show with a biologist and then someone who's has a high stake in the industry from an insight standpoint, if that makes sense. Where I think if we had like a Steve Barden on who we're going to have next week for fisheries biologists, talk about the fisheries where we see lakes going. And then where like next week on a from the bass boat, we're going to uh, Deacon has on Todd Hamill, who's a CEO of wired to fish. Someone who like from the, we're talking about the media side. I mean, that really understands the current conversations. I think it would have been really good to have people that are having these talks versus us from the front lines, you know, speculating, you know what I mean? I think it would have been pretty interesting to have that point of view. So maybe that means sequel. We'll need to uh, invite some new characters to this one to give some differing points of view. Chat about fisheries. In longevity, I mean, I'm definitely gonna ask Steve next week. But Red, what do you think? I no, dude, I'm down because I, th- I mean, I want to be wrong. Like I want to be, I want someone to look at me and say, "No, that's not what the data says." Yeah, yeah. And it makes us feel a lot better. <laughs> unfortunately, I think we're gonna get the not the slap, but like, yeah, you're right. Like, I think yeah. ultimately we're gonna get the you and, guys are right, and um, we see screwed. the signs. <laughs> we just don't know how to fix it because yeah. we can't convince local governments and townships to address regulation change. The only way you can do that is if you can convince the state DNR 
to do it. And yeah. they're going to side with the state and, saying and they want the interest. Actually, they don't have control. John Hammond's told me, well, in our case here in Tennessee, they don't have control. They literally can't tell the city of Knoxville what to do. Like yeah. they, it is totally out of their control. They can suggest, they can deliver speeches, they can go and petition, they can do, but like at the end of the day, if the city of Knoxville decides to pay Bassmaster millions of dollars to come here and have the classic, guess what? It's coming, regardless of what the biology says. And you're right. I think from from conversation, and, and Bailey, I agree because I want to have other people's perspectives, but from conversations I've had with biologists specifically, it's what you said, Andrew. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and we don't know how to fix it yet. Like, well, and, and will they ever have an answer? Because, I mean, there's always there that's the one thing that we have in the world we live in is constant change so like as soon as they come up with that duct tape fix to remedy something something else is going to there are no solutions only compromises only compromises so it's like it's a give and take society what do we do here to fix this but what is it ultimately going to affect so how the domino effect is a real thing and um just no matter what moves we take as a society it's going to affect something no matter how good or bad it is so it's coming together as common fishermen and influencers and pro fishermen and biologists like we just have to figure it out and lead by example that's all we can do is lead by example and hope another person bites and follows along yep you know what's crazy is there's no other sport where they're having this conversation because like no other sport involves another living like a living creature yeah Yeah. and football's only argument they have right now is should we get rid of turf and make everything natural grass so people stop blowing acls like <laughs> i mean you know yeah. I have no idea that's a great yeah. question yeah it's yeah. um it is wild like even if hey, this was good. this was good yeah i enjoyed this like this well, was um, this was a lot of good conversation deep heart to heart yes I, I, I hashed out some ideas that i had and that's i think that's what people need to realize about podcasts for me is it's just my place to come and sit and hash out ideas it's yeah. just all it is and so like if i offend you understand that i'm probably in the middle of forming an opinion and that it's just what it is <laughs> yeah. i mean if you disagree i mean please like comment dm one of us like there's going to be a sequel to this. Talks about it not. I, I have a feeling there's going to be more than a sequel. I have a feeling this is going to be like an ongoing thing because there's well, that just is what a sequel constant is, change, right? What a sequel is an ongoing thing. Oh, sequel, whatever. <laughs> I was just thinking part two, sequel. You know, just adding and whatever. We're we're gonna make it into a trilogy, is what I think what we're looking for. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm down for a trilogy. <laughs> We've all been talking too long. I think yeah. that's what the yeah like usually episodes are an hour we double that we just I, like I, that's expected when Rudd comes on so. absolutely yeah yeah listen you know you don't get in a conversation with me without expecting it to be two hours long so okay. you know next time we get on here I say we pull a Joe Rogan and just get high as hell and talk about aliens and Bigfoot well I do have a new beer sponsor so I won't get high but I'll get drunk I, I'll, I'll get yeah. drunk with you as well as long as I don't have like a random alcohol Wait, and drug test can't do that though because that offends people yeah. I what would you have a drug or alcohol test for? The United States Coast Guard Merchant Marine license. I Dude, am in you a stop. Trip. You're fine. No, I've Dude. already been random twice. What? 
Yeah. That's it's a, a DOT six panel drug test. I have to go That's pee in a cup one. and a good. Yeah. yeah, it's the big one. Yeah. That's the big one. Yeah. <laughs> because That's I'm carting people around like in a boat six in months ago and they pick it up on that one. Oh, yeah. So I have to be very careful what I'm around and do. Yeah. So it wouldn't test you for alcohol. Yeah. If you what? show up too drunk, you can lose your license and get suspended and you have to like court it back. Oh, yeah. It'll come back in your blood. The last time I was away with Amanda on like a birthday party retrieve and I was drinking the guy goes, all right, I'll give you 48 hours. Just make sure you drink a lot of water and get it out of your system. <laughs> Dude, I swear to God, this freaking cat. There's like my windows open and he's like, he's 12 pounds and he's trying to fit in the window. Yeah. I can't hear you, dude. I have headphones on. Yeah. <laughs> you want to hear my cat call? This is this is why we you know, actually you want to hear my turkey call. Here we go. Yeah, here, yeah, hold on. There you go. Go ahead. Go ahead and do it. <laughs> no, it's really good. He gave you a double bird. That works. Here's my turkey call. You ready? Come here, turkey. That's, uh, that's my turkey. Call. <laughs> that's what I'm ending it with. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're we're gonna close out right there. Before we lose any more of our marbles, but we're definitely gonna have another one of these shows here soon. But Red, as always, my friend, it is a pleasure. Uh, anything that people should know. Here's obviously your socials are all linked below if anybody does not follow you yet. But anything coming up that you want to share with the folks? Um, got some cool podcast guests coming on here soon, so that'll be fun. So make sure you tune into those. But other than that, man, we're just uh trying to get through the month of January and February here in East Tennessee. Like I know we don't have ice, but we do have January and February, and both of them suck. So <laughs> come on, March. <laughs> and March, you'll be at the Classic, right? Yeah, yeah, that'll be fun. Beautiful. Classic's going to be here in Knoxville, so that'll be a spectacle to go stand around and see and mm-hmm. be a good time. Heck yeah. I hope to see you there. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you'll be there. Deacon yeah, I, will be I there. Sh- I should be there. So should be. Fingers should crossed. Be. What, what's the, we'll talk about it afterwards. Well, after. Andy? Andy, yeah. you want to quickly tell the folks uh, Lure Lab episode for tomorrow before we sign off? Oh, uh, winter, jig, hooks. winter jig fishing with Jake Boomer. It's going to be a good one. Hey. I, the birdie on the street says he stole some jigs from Paul Nick's box and talked about them on the episode. Ooh. <laughs> Fancy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The juice is loose. Yes, the juice <laughs> is loose. So, yes. <laughs> That was a really good one. I feel like we could have talked that about it. Nice. Like that was good. I like the little accent. The juicy blues. Like a German. Like a uh, German. Where's uh, this boot? I'm not going to shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever watched that movie? No, Deer, what is Deer that? Fest? Deer no. Fest. Oh, it's, it's incredible. Awesome. I gotta watch that. Oh, it reminded me of the little gingerbread man off of Shrek. Have my gumdrop buttons. That's what we need to do. We need to just we just need to violate copyright and live stream us watching Beer Fest on this channel. Oh, dude, I'm so down. You want a ZJ man? If you don't know what it is, you can't afford it. (laughs) I'm gonna have to watch this movie now so I can be in on on quotes. I'll find it. My favorite scene though is like when the grandma grabs a big sausage and like like, (laughs) vacuum up, and the guy goes, "Grab, grab it." <laughs> we'll send it to you, Red. Yeah, please do. Please uh, do. do not watch this in front of your kids. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. It's it's a great movie. It's hilarious, and don't let your kids watch Beer Fest. <laughs> yeah, they'll end up like delinquents, like Andy. And I. <laughs>
All right. I think that is good enough for tonight. But uh, check out the Lure Lab that's dropping tomorrow. Check out Rudd's uh, various social links down in the description. Appreciate you guys, and we'll see you next week. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Searsanga fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all. And we'll see y'all on the next one.